John this morning. Uh, we're on chapter 5 now, uh, and we're going to be just going through the first five verses of chapter 5 this morning. And it's such an awesome passage here. Uh, faith is the victory, right? So we sang that song at the beginning that was not by mistake or happenstance. I was like, well, yeah, we got to sing that song if that's the title of the sermon, right? So, uh, but it's so awesome to know that through Jesus Christ, we have victory. And this morning, we're going to be talking about exactly what that means uh, for us. And so it's such an awesome thing. Uh, let's go ahead and go to the Lord this, in prayer this morning before we open up scripture. Uh, dear Lord, uh, I thank you so much for bringing us here this morning uh, to worship you, Lord. Uh, I thank you that uh, we have your word to go through to guide us. Uh, and I thank you that you bring us victory in Jesus Christ, Lord. Uh, I pray that as we go through scripture this morning, that you would just open our hearts to what you have to teach us uh, and allow us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. And we're just going to read through this passage this morning, and then we'll break it down. First uh, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, it says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Such an awesome, awesome passage. And so what does this mean? How do, or how do we overcome the world? Pretty simple answer to that this morning. Uh, believe in Jesus Christ, right? And so all throughout the book of Revelation, when it says to him that overcomes, I'll give this, right? Who is the person that overcomes? Whoever believes in Jesus, right? That we can only have victory through Jesus Christ. And so looking at this this morning, um, let's break down this passage. The first part of this really is about loving Jesus Christ. So this is, uh, again, pretty simple thing. Uh, let's look at verse 1 again. Uh, it says... In 1 John 5, 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who lo loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. And so the first thing this morning that you have to do is you have to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, when we say Jesus Christ, not, you, you have to understand that is not his name, right? Jesus is his name, but Christ is his title, okay? And so we need to understand that. Christ means anointed one or the Messiah. Uh, literally, the word in Hebrew uh, is Messiah, and the word in Greek is Christos, right? And so they're the same word. So when we talk about Messiah and we talk about Christ, same thing. They're interchangeable, okay? Uh, and so when we say, when we refer to Jesus as Christ, we we're talking about his title there. Uh, it's a very important thing uh, to remember. And so the first thing in order to have victory uh, over the world is you have to believe that Jesus didn't just come and, and was a person, right? You have to believe that he is the Christ, okay? Uh, John three sixteen 16 uh, through 18 uh, is a pretty famous 
uh, verse here, at least the first one, but we need to pay attention to the verses that come after as well, because they're just as important. John three sixteen through 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's an awesome, awesome verse there. But again, we need to pay attention to what comes after it. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Notice verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so what gives you victory or not is whether or not you believe in Jesus Christ. That's it. Solely based off of belief. In fact, the Bible says that if you don't believe in Jesus, you are already condemned. Not you know, you're condemned later. You're condemned from the beginning. If you, even if you do, even if you were able to do everything else right in your life, simply not believing in Jesus Christ is enough to condemn you. That's it. And so we're condemned already if we don't believe in Jesus. He's the one that has come to save us. And so again, you know, people talk about it in this world, well, how can such a loving God send people to hell? Well, that loving God sent his son to come and die for you. That way you don't have to go to hell. That's how much he loves us, right? And so the other part of this, right, uh, is the, the second half of this verse here. It says, everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who's begotten of him. Who is the only begotten Son of God? Jesus Christ, right? So this cannot be talking about anyone else other than Jesus Christ. And so if you love God the Father, you have to love Jesus Christ. You have to. Uh, people that claim, well, you know, I believe in God, but I don't know, I'm not sure about all that Christian stuff. No, you, you cannot love God without loving Jesus. Why? Because God the Father testified of His Son. And so if you don't believe in Jesus, you can't say you love God because if you don't believe in Jesus, you're calling God a liar. God literally opened the heavens and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so you can't say you love God and not love Jesus. It doesn't work like that. If you love God, you're going to believe what he said. And what he said was that Jesus was his son and came to die for the sins of the world. The Father testified of the Son. So if you love the Father, you must love the Son. Also, the, this passage doesn't just stop there. We can't just stop at loving Jesus. I mean, that's what gets you in heaven, but how do we show love for God in this world? We've been talking about this. You have to love the children of God as well, right? You can't just say, okay, I love God and uh, I love Jesus. But I hate my brethren. That's, you know, it doesn't work like that. They all go together, right? We have to love the children of God. Verse 2 here, it says, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. And so there are three things that are talked about in this passage, really. Uh, love God, love each other, and keep his commandments. Love God, love each other, and keep his commandments. 
Those th three things are inseparable. Uh, now, if we remember back in the passages before, what we've been talking about this whole time, uh, you'll notice those things being said in different orders and things like that. Like, if you love the children of God, well, then you must keep the commandments. Or if you lo love God, you must love the children of God. Or if you're trying to keep the commandments, you must love the children of God. They're all together. They're all intertwined. They're inseparable. So we need to understand this, that there is a command for us to love each other. It's not optional in life. Now, this command has been from the beginning. Uh, it was implied at the very beginning. It was outright said with the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, one of the reasons why uh, Cain was so bad, right, is because he hated his brother and he killed his brother over that. That we see that there's the comparison made later uh, to loving our brethren. And then we see in the Ten Commandments, love God and love your neighbor, right? And Jesus is asked about this later and confirms that these are the two greatest commandments, right? He's asked by the Pharisees, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love the God, Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And what does he say? The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So love God and love your neighbor. And he says, on this, hang all the law and the prophets. And so everything else in the Bible hinges upon those two things. And so, you know, and then Jesus says, you know, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so we have to understand that these things are all together. You cannot do one without the others as well. It is a command to love each other. Now, uh, you might be thinking, well, you know, I'm not really fond of <laughs> other people too much. And that's okay, actually. You don't have to uh, enjoy other people's company. You don't have to enjoy other people's personalities. But the kind of love that it's talking about here is the sacrificial love, right? You have to care about the well-being of your brethren. So you may not want to hang out with them, right? But you have to care about what is best for them. That's the type of love that it's talking about having here for your brethren. And in fact, it is a, a much simpler thing to have sacrificial love towards someone that you don't even really like that much versus someone that you do like. Why? Because the very act of showing love towards someone that you don't like is showing that sacrificial love. It's obviously with no benefit to yourself, right? Now, when we, when we go hang out with someone that we already like, is that sacrificial at all? No, right? And so, but we need to have that sacrificial love towards one another, especially our brethren. And that's, that's what John's focus is here, is that in our churches, we have to care about the well-being of our brethren, and I've seen that kind of love here. I mean, I, I'm the pastor. A lot of you have shown love towards me, but uh, I've seen it with other people there, here too. When people are going through hard times, uh, people at this church tend to rally around one another. And I've seen this at other missionary Baptist churches too, that this is, this is a very good thing about having a small church. When you have a big church, it's very hard to love others because you don't know them, <laughs> right? We need to know the people that we are worshiping with. So 
the second part of this verse here is really how do we show this love for one another? This is, again, where they're kind of inseparable, right? How do you show love for other people in your church? Well, by loving God and doing what he told you to do. If we are serving the Lord, we will naturally show love to one another in our churches. They, again, they all go together. Uh, if you really love someone out on the street that's not saved, what are you going to do? You're going to tell them about Jesus, right? That's showing love. If one of our brethren is suffering, right, uh, and they need help, what are you going to do or what should you do? You should help them if you have the means. That is a command from Christ. We need to love one another, and that is following the commandments of God. So we love God and keep his commandments. Now, that leads to the next part of this here, right? How do we love God and keep his commandments? How, what are those commandments that we are supposed to keep? How do we show our love for God? 1 John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God. So now he's explaining the previous verse here. He says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. What an, like, I love that addition there to the verse. You know, not only do you need to keep his commandments, but you shouldn't be complaining about it either, right? If, if following God is so burdensome for you, are you really loving God? <laughs> no, right? So we need to understand that, you know, loving God, we should do that out of joy, right? We should be keeping God's commandments out of joy, not because, oh man, this, I really want to go do this sin, but, uh, you know, I'm not because God, you know, because God, right? That's not how we're supposed to act. That's, that's how the Pharisees a lot of times acted in the old, you know, uh, at Jesus' time. They were only loving God out of fear, right? Or following God out of fear. But Jesus, what Jesus told us should not be burdensome for us. And so keeping his commandments, right? Why is this so important for us to actually do what Jesus told us to do? Well, Jesus flat out says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Does that mean that, so, you know, the people that say, well, I, I'm saved now, now I can go back to my life and do whatever I want. Are you showing love towards Jesus Christ, the, your Savior? Are you, it, it, there's a possibility that you're not even really saved if you're thinking like that. We should be so grateful for what Jesus did for us that we want to please him. Jesus told us to do many things. Uh, he told, again, loving our brethren, loving our neighbors. Also, go ye therefore and make, and make disciples, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, right? So we're supposed to preach. We're supposed to tell people about Jesus if we really love them. I, I don't know about you, but uh, I can't really go many places without talking about my children or my wife, Right? Because I love them so much, uh, it just comes up, right? I, I don't understand how some of these men cheat on their wives and things. 
because whenever I'm around other people, I end up talking about my wife. You know, <laughs> there, there's no secret that I'm married, right? But if we really love God, right, and we're supposed to love God more than we love our spouse, how can we go about our daily lives and then people that we see all the time have no idea about God? It's a, that should be a wake-up call to us. If you love someone so much and you can't, you can't help but talk about them, then do you really love God that much if you hide that all the time? We can't be hiding our faith. It also says here that, uh, again, getting back to this idea of it being burdensome, that his commandments are not burdensome towards us. What did Jesus say about this, actually? Uh, if we go to Matthew chapter 20, or sorry, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, this is a pretty famous verse again. Uh, it says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What an awesome thing. And this is one that uh, is even more awesome when you know the historical context here. You see, when little Jewish boys would go to school, they, they would learn what was called, uh, so they would first start off by memorizing, right? So they would memorize scripture and then they would be taught what was called the yoke of the Torah, right? Now, a yoke was this big wooden piece that they would put on animals to keep, so that they could plow fields and things like that. So there's this big, huge piece of block of wood that they would put on them. And so uh, they would teach them this yoke of the Torah, this very strict interpretation of the Old Testament scriptures, right? And that would help keep them on the right path. Right. Uh, that's what the purpose of that was. Now, then after that, uh, after they had gotten that down, uh, then they would be studying under a rabbi if they made it that far in school. And they would learn what's called the yoke of the rabbi. Right. And so that that was that rabbi's specific teachings on those those scriptures. And so the hope was that that those rabbi's teachings would continue on through generations. And so they called this thing a yoke, these teachings, a yoke. This heavy thing, it was, it was hard to learn this. Now Jesus, he was a rabbi at the time. What, and he's saying, take my yoke upon you. My teachings are not hard. <laughs> That's what he's saying. And so he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so all these other rabbis are demanding so much of their followers. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. The actual scripture is really simple, and you need to understand it. Love God and love your neighbor, right? That is the gist of everything. It's such an awesome thing. And so when we turn to Christ, we're like, oh, man, it's so hard being a Christian. It's hard to follow God. No, it's not. Jesus said it wasn't. He said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Now, that doesn't mean that the world is not going to try to make that difficult for us. But understanding what Jesus wants us to do is not hard. It's a very simple message throughout the Bible. 
If you're not saved, believe in him, right? Accept him as your Lord and Savior. And if you are saved, love your neighbor and love God. Very, not in that order. Love God and love your neighbor. It's a very simple message. If you do those two things, if those two things are in your heart, everything else will fall into place. If you are doing things out of love for your neighbor and out of love for God, you are a lot less likely to sin in life. Uh, now, again, we all do sin, but that's why uh, we can turn to Jesus at any time and ask for forgiveness. It's always there for us, right? But it's a very easy thing it's a, to understand how to follow God. It's not, it's, it's not a complicated message. And the Bible says God is not the author of confusion. And so anything that kind of gets muddied up and hard to understand in today's world, that's from the devil. That's not from God. God it, God's message is very simple towards us. And so understanding all of that, right, Love God, love your neighbor, and keep his commandments, right? Very simple thing. And through all of that, we can have victory because Jesus brought that for us. So faith is the victory. That's what it says in that, verse, uh, that last two verses in this passage. And before we get to that, I want us to go ahead and go to... John 16, 33. This is why we can have victory in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So how do we overcome in life? We trust in Jesus who overcame the world. But notice there... It's not all sunshine and daisies. Anybody that's telling you prosperity gospel and stuff, Jesus himself said the opposite. He says, in me, you will have peace. But in the world, you will have tribulation. The world does not like Jesus. The world does not like God. And so if we're following Jesus, the world is going to hate us. The world is going to make it hard for us, but that is not coming from God. But we can trust and have faith because Jesus has overcome the world. What an awesome, awesome thing. And so let's go back to verses 4 and 5 of 1 John 5. It says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So how, are you, how do you become an overcomer in this life? You put your faith in Jesus Christ, who already overcame. So if we put our faith in him, it's because he has already won the battle. I love talking about David and Goliath, and you, you know me, I love talk, pointing out how we're not David in that story, <laughs> that David is representative of Christ in that story. We're the Israelites standing on the sidelines. We sent our champion to go fight that battle for us. 
And so David slays Goliath. We know the story, right? He's the one man that went out there to do it. And Goliath is this insurmountable problem for the Israelites. But David went out and took care of that problem, right? And then what happens after that? Well, David beheads Goliath. And what do the Israelites do? They cheer and then they follow David into battle and they scare off the Philistines. They chase him down. So we can put our faith in Jesus Christ who already won that battle for us. That's how we overcome. We're the Israelites on the sidelines cheering for our Savior. We, all we need to do is put our faith in Him and follow Him into these things. And so we can only overcome through Jesus Christ because He already won that battle. And so what does victory mean, though, for those that do overcome? What does victory mean for those that are, put their faith in Jesus Christ? And if you look at in the book of Revelation... Uh, at the end of each of the letters to the seven churches of Asia, at the end of each one of those, or actually it's one letter, but at the e end of each message to one of those seven churches, Jesus says something very spe special there. It says, to him that overcomes, something. Right? I'm going to read those here. Uh, it says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, this is after the first church here. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So we get to eat from the tree of life if we're saved, right? We get eternal life. Revelation 2.11 He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the, uh, to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The second death is going to hell. And so if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you are an overcomer, you don't get hurt by the second death. You don't go to hell. So not only do you get to eat from the tree of life, but Jesus protects you from going to hell. Revelation 2.17 he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna uh, to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. That's such an awesome... You, you could do a whole sermon just on that. Uh, but that new... That stone that we're given with that new name... The simplest explanation of this is that Jesus, when we're saved, he gives us a new name. And when you name something, you get ownership. Over that. That's a, a symbol of you having ownership over that thing. What's the first thing everyone does when they get a new dog? Well, they give that dog a name, right? If you get to name something, right, it's yours, right? When people, they can pay money to buy a star, right? And they get to name that star. They, you know, that's theirs, right? But how awesome is that, is that when we're saved, Jesus gives us a new name. And he has ownership over us. And again, there's so much more there, but we don't have uh, that much time to get into it. Let's move on here to Revelation chapter 2, verses 
26 through 28. It says, and he who overcomes, and notice this, and keeps my works to the end. This is a little bit different here than the previous one. And I'll explain that in a moment. To him, I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. And they, they shall be dashed to pieces like potter's vessels. As also I have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. And so to him that overcomes and keeps his works to the end, you get to rule with Jesus. That's brideship there. And so if you are following Jesus to the very end, if you're keeping all of that, you get to rule with Jesus. So not only do you have eternal life, but you get to rule. That's an awesome thing. There are rewards in heaven beyond just getting to heaven. And we need to understand that. Uh, Revelation 3.5 says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And this is such an awesome thing too here. Clothed in white garments, that's righteousness there. That's, that's beauty there. And notice, again, not only are you not going to go to hell, but Jesus himself is going to confess your name before the Father. What an awesome thing, right? Not only do we get to go to heaven, but Jesus himself is the reason why we get to go to heaven. And he's going to confess our names before the Father. Revelation 3.12 he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. That's pretty awesome there. So we talked about you know, ownership here, right? We have Jesus' Jesus name on us, we have God's name on us, and we have the name of New Jerusalem on us. So who we belong to and where we belong. It's an awesome thing. Revelation 3.21, it says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as also I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Again, such an awesome verse. And all of this, you know, the, that, it says all of that about, you know, when he's at the very end of each part of the seven churches, right? But all of that leads up to the very end when Jesus gives one more to them that overcome statement in Revelation chapter 21, verses 5 through 7. And this is the best one, right? This is the best one because this sums up everything. It says, then he who sat on the throne, talking about Jesus Christ, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Notice, he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. 
What an awesome thing. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we inherit all things. It's such an amazing, amazing thing. But the best thing about that, right? It's not just about all the stuff that we get in heaven. But notice what Jesus says. I will be his God and he shall be my son. What an awesome thing. So as the pianist and song leader come this morning, if you're here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, understand that without Jesus, your destination is hell, right? The Bible says that uh, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you are condemned already, right? We talked about that. Condemnation is already there. But God sent his son into the world so that you could believe in him and have salvation through him. All you have to do this morning in order to have victory, in order to overcome, in order to get all of these things in heaven, in order to be close to Christ in heaven, all you have to do is put your faith in him because he already won the battle. It's such a sad thing when people reject because they don't, even, they, they don't understand that the battle's already been won. All you have to do is say, yeah, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, and that's it. Why would anyone choose death when life has already been provided? Because that's what happens when you reject, right? You're, you're saying, no, Jesus, I'd rather go to hell. That's, that's so sad because salvation is there for everyone who would accept it. So all you have to do this morning is put your faith in Jesus Christ. Believe that he is the Christ. That he came into this world to live a perfect life and be that perfect sacrifice on the cross for your sins. And you believe in him and you believe that he did that. And you repent of your sins and you will be saved. That's it. Repent and believe. You do those two things this morning and you will spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Don't leave here without doing that.